Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's the motherfucking Doors. Song is Strange Days. It's by the Doors off their 1967 sophomore album, Strange Days. I could do the whole rest of the intro like this. It's number 409 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers, where we each week go through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 great death albums oh yeah what's up fleece army it's the king kadoogle josh adam myers hockey's back baseball's kind of back i'm having problems with my dog lekka's paw but she's fine don't worry to everybody out there that is sending me love because you didn't even know about the dog but if you're just sending me love i love you guys i love you so much the love for you is fleecy like a mofo. Guys, I want everybody to know that you are listening to the 500. So I want you guys to take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500. And then I want you to share that screenshot on your Instagram stories. And you tag me at Josh Adam Myers, tag at the 500 podcast. Let's get the word out, guys, because, dude, the albums are getting thicker and more robust. I mean, as I say a lot of time, and people shit on me for this, this is one of the first Doors records I listened to from front to back. We're not going to give you the history because I want to get to the episode. I'll give you a little bit. So this was released on September 25th, 1967 on Electra Records and produced by Paul Rothschild, who I know his son because Morty, a writer, plays in a band every Tuesday night, well, when we could be outside, at the Kibitz Room. And uh, Dan plays bass and is incredible. So that that was crazy when I saw that. I was like, holy shit, that's fucking... Is that Dan's dad? And he was like, yes. And I was like, thank you. I'll take uh, stupid questions for 500, Josh. And this is the second album by The Doors. So they released their first record in January of 67. But then four months later, as the album and the shows that they were performing were going well, Elektra wanted them to follow it up But after receiving and absolutely flipping out over an advanced copy of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper, the band and longtime producer, my friend's dad, Paul Rothschild, and engineer Bruce Botnick realized that they could experiment much more than on the first album. 
They also moved up from a four track to a cutting edge eight track recording machine, giving them more tracks to which to explore new ideas and sounds. Strange Days was another Wang Zuki of a record. Big hit. And my guest today is a hit. The one and only Harlan Williams. Harlan Williams is one of my favorite people. I think he's one of the funniest people alive. You probably know him from Disney's Rocket Man, from Half Baked. Pop, pop, a pop, pop, popcorn. There's something about Mary. Seven minute abs. And then Dumb and Dumber. You're drinking a little bit of Grandpa's. Dude, the guy is hysterical, and we recorded this live at the world-famous comedy store a few weeks ago. I'm pretty sure the video of it will be posted on my YouTube, so make sure you join and subscribe my YouTube so you, because we're going to start doing more videos. I'm going to be posting a lot of stuff, guys, with Harlan, with all my guests. It's going to be great. Sign up and enjoy this podcast. Also, yuck your face. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 anywhere that you get your pods. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave a five-star rating and leave a review. I don't care what you put. You can literally just put fuck the 500, five stars. That's from the Crab Feast. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com to tell us if you love us or if you hate us or if you hate me or whatever it is. Follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, run by Crazy Evan. Also, The 500 Podcast fan page. I think Evan runs that, too. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 409 with Strange Days by the motherfucking doors. Wait, shouldn't you sing Ernie Pumpernickel? Ernie Pumpernickel, one for the nickel, two for the pumpkin. Harlan Williams is a great name, but I, I, you should have a different name, like a, like a Billy Toledo or like Fran Tarkenton, who was actually a quarterback for the Washington Redskins. Oh, I thought that was the nanny. It could be. You Isn't know. Fran Tark, didn't she have a show called that's, The Net? That's Fran Drescher. Oh. Same thing. Did she play football, though? I think she did, yeah. She then was I'll outside linebacker. Can I be yeah. Fran Drescher, then? You have a Fran Drescher feel. Yeah. Which is, this is what's so great about, yeah. about because first of all, this is the first podcast I have taped live with an actual human being next to me since COVID dropped March 12th. I know, and what's so cool is we measured it, and we look like we're really close, but we're exactly to the inch, like six Dude, feet we apart. are six feet. I'd say we're six feet and three centimeters. Yeah, like if I lean this way, like even, I'm, 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 I'm going to get a violation. I'm going to mask up, dude. I can't. I got to let the goatee yeah. shine, bro. 
You it like this? Great. It looks great. I'm, I'm going for a swashbuckler look. I love it. Some people go with like salt and pepper, but you you look like you've got the full <laughs> seven full herbs salt, and dude. spices. Like you look like that. I think there's even a piece of KFC in the beard right now. That's probably you why want a potato I, skin. Whoa, <laughs> Dalmer. All right, so you know what's so great about this is that is that like because we I was trying to figure out a record to get you on, and in that kitchen. Do you remember this? You did my show in the main room, mm-hmm. and I was like, dude, we got to get you a record. You looked at the list. You saw the doors. You went, I can do that. And that's all you had to tell me because I knew right away. Yeah. I was like, you have a connection to this band. Yeah. Tell me about it. Tell me about your journey with the doors. <laughs> well, it started when I was a kid, okay? when How I was old? I was probably about nine years old, and I grew up in Canada, and the day school ended me and my four sisters and my mother would go up north of Toronto to a little cottage. We had a little cottage that was really small. It was a rectangle with three bedrooms on one side and a kitchen. I love, I love how you're trying to downplay that you were rich because no. like, we had a cottage. It had four no, rooms. I'm it telling was you, tiny. This is this <laughs> cottage. The guys from Deliverance would have said, "No, we're going to sleep <laughs> outside." Good. Yeah, it, it, I'm telling you, it was a shack, but we loved it, right? And, yeah. And so there was a little town near us that sold dewworms for fishing and like, you know, ice cream sandwiches and jawbreakers, you know, okay. like it was one of those little towns, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so every summer they had a strawberry festival, right? As and, they do. Yeah, these little towns have, of strawberry festivals. You have to honor strawberries once a year yeah. or the Mayan gods will kill yeah, us. <laughs> exactly. So we go to the, the strawberry festival and it's me and my four sisters and- and they have a fish pond, you know, where you that thing where you stick the fishing line in, and then the the people who run it stick a prize on the yeah, end yeah, of it, yeah. and you pull it up, right? <laughs> so I don't know if this little strawberry festival had a deal with Electra Records back in the early seventies. Possible. Like this town out of about like 120 people, right? But every time I pulled up the damn fishing line, and I did it about 15 times because it was free, Yeah, I got a Doors 45. Like they had an Electra Doors 45 with the paper still on it, right? <laughs> Grab us another Morrison Hotel. This guy's winning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And so... So, so how many did you get? You said you played 15 times. I got, you I got, got 15 45? I got 45? 15 45s, but it was the same one. It was the Doors 45, and on one side, I don't remember, but on the other side, it was Wild Child, right? Okay. That song, Wild Child, and I had four sisters, and so I loved to tease them. So Jim Morrison gave me license to tease them because one of the lines in Wild Child, he goes, Yuck your face, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then he and then he, he amps it up. He goes, yuck your face, yuck your face. <laughs> so when I got home, we had a little record player, and I would play it in front of my sisters, and I had license to. And you my, broke the code, dude. Dude, you, I you just cracked kept, it. I just kept saying yuck your face to my sisters, <laughs> and they were getting real. Fit. My my mom was like, stop doing that. And I said, I'm just singing along to the record. It's the mom. song, Mom. It's the Strawberry Festival Your fish breath song. stank. Well, yeah. that's, that's, that was cut out, but that was one of the yeah. original lyrics. Yeah. So that was my first exposure to the doors. I got, I got licensed to like abuse, like tease my sisters. 
So Fuck thank yeah, you, dude. Jim. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, yeah. Van Zarek. So wait, so I said it's nine years old. So you start listening to the song. Yeah. Like how how connected were you, and and how did it go from there? It was weird because I knew, like you know, I, I listened to the Beatles and all the pop radio, like AM radio, and I I realized that even at that age, his lyrics were really kind of different. Like, like at the end of Wild Child, he goes, "Do you remember when we were in Africa?" Like he just kind of <laughs> says it at the end, do you know that? Yeah. And it's like so weird. And I went, this guy's different. And who sings about yuck your face? Like I just knew he was different and they sounded different. You know, you had the organ sure. going and just and just his voice, he'd go from really mellow to like yuck, like screaming. And and so I just knew I I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know, but I just I just knew that that there was something different than all the other sounds I had heard at that early age. So that yeah. was my first taste of the doors. Sure. And so yeah. how did that evolve then? Well, it evolved, uh, I guess what happened next is I um, I went on in life, and I remember- <laughs> As I, we do. <laughs> as we do, as we do. And uh, I remember the next kind of exposure to The Doors, I'd, I'd heard their songs by then, like, you know, a lot of the, like, Light My Fire and a lot of the commercial ones. Yeah. And I was on a long train ride. I was on this, like, I think it was a eight-hour train ride from- Toronto to Northern Canada. I used to work in the wilderness when I was younger. And I remember I was uh, coming home on this train and for some reason there was a school, like a, a teacher was moving like a, a bunch of, I guess it was camp. It was a kid's camp or something. And one of the kids had a cassette tape recorder and he just kept playing the Doors songs, you know, and I was digging it. And then all of a sudden the teacher grabbed and he shut it off and he goes, you know, we can only take so much of a squeaky 60s organ. <laughs> and that line always stuck in my oh, head. Yeah. And I think he kind of sort of turned me off of the doors a little bit. Really? Yeah, but then I went to college. Yeah, there it is. Pots in the room. You're Maybe you're experimenting. There's sex. Wrong. You're wrong on all three. <laughs> really? <laughs> I was in the library. Okay. I was in the library, and I'd never really seen Jim Morrison. Like, I'd seen pictures, but I'd never seen him, like video of them right yeah and so they had this you know the library used to be up for reference they had these documentaries and they they weren't even on vhs or cd back then they were these round things you'd put them in a machine and you'd hit it and it would spin <laughs> like it was it was 70s like like av equipment that i don't even think Microfiche, remember microfiche? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like solving a, you know, a crime on unsolved mysteries. Yeah, who or are something. you, Perry Mason? I'm just yeah. trying to listen to this album. Right. So, so, so I start watching this thing, and they're showing like the history of rock and roll, and this little Richard and the Beatles and all that. And I'm just sitting there going, "Oh, this is cool." And all of a sudden, Jim Morrison came on. It was an interview, like you know, tight shot, and he's just like, "Yeah, man." And, it was one of those things you ever connect with something in your life and you just go, whoa, that's me. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's almost like I was looking in his eyes and believe me, I'm not anywhere near Jim Morrison, but something inside me, I just went, holy, like I just, it was like a slam, like it was, it was like a ghost passing through me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and obviously I'm not him in any way, but I connected with him somehow. I'd never seen him, but he just like knocked me over and he was just talking about random stuff, obviously, but... And so then I was locked in and then I started reading, you know, nobody here gets out alive. And, and then I fell in even deeper and then, you know, I grew my hair long and, and, uh, I used to go to these retro music nights and, and listen to the doors and get up on stage and dance around like Jim. And I just, I just loved it. I loved how poetic he was and how different he was from, 
a lot of the music. You know, I felt like his music came from a real sincere, oh yeah, poetic place as opposed to sitting down and being commercial about it and stuff. So, 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 what about this record in particular? What about Strange Days? Tell me about you, your first experience with that. I think it was uh, when the music's over, and. I just I just loved how the song started like so slowly and just kind of creeped up on you and it was kind of like Wild Child where it, it built up to a point where he's like screaming and then the, the, some of the lyrics are just so poetic and when I first stumbled on it it was one of those songs where we all have those songs where you just play it over and oh, yeah. over and over like I must have played it for a year like nonstop and I just couldn't get enough of it and my one of my favorite Dora's lines is um I'll try and sing it, but no, please. It, it, it just—I don't know why it just resonates with me. It goes before I sing into the deep sleep. I want to hear. I want to hear the scream of the butterfly. You know, I, I just. <laughs> I just love the idea of a guy like, you know, before he dies, he wants to hear a butterfly scream. Like, I mean, who doesn't, though, dude? Uh, I Have know. You, I, I've heard it all the time. My neighbors got <laughs> butterflies. And wow. They're just, <laughs> well, <laughs> just all can, day can long, dude. They're, they're like the <laughs> softest, like most silent. Gentle. They, they, they don't even, like birds, when they fly, that they, they make noise with their wings. Butterflies are just, they're silent. Elegant. Elegant. They, they they don't even think they weigh anything. Like they everything weigh weighs something. Negative I think, five sub zero yeah. pounds. And just the fact, like mixing the concept of death, which to most of us is probably sort of horrific, and then this kind of genteel creature that that just kind of floats around in life, and the idea of it screaming. I don't know. Just just for him to think of stuff like that was very. It was almost like sexy to me. You know, like I found it very like. Just powerful and sexy oh, and cool. A million percent yeah. that, that Jim Morrison and the doors and, and the lyrics and the music and everything about this band is sexy. Yeah. And it's not. If you never saw what they looked like, yeah. like you'd still listen to this music and know that it's so sex charged yeah. and so yeah. Yeah. smart and so like like for me, I just can't believe like I heard how great his lyrics were. I heard about how great this dude was as a stage performer and how he controlled the audience. But it's like to really dive in and read the the lyrics on this record yeah. is like mind boggling. Plus, I just came off the last record we did was Bob Dylan, Time Out of Mind. Oh, yeah. So I've had Dylan and Jim Morrison back to back, who in, in my opinion and probably most people's opinions are probably the two greatest lyricists. And I mean... Dylan is one way, yeah. But and I, Jim Morrison, like I really don't think that he's like pretentious, or I don't think he's just trying to be this like you know sub intellectual guy. Like he, that's who he is. Like yeah. he is a poet, and it shows. So I mean, when you were nine, you didn't really understand how. No. Dude, you just heard yuck face, and you were like, <laughs> yeah. "Yeah, dude, that's my shit." Yeah, but like I said, I also realized he was he was set apart from other artists I was yeah. listening to. He, I, I, I could sense there was an edge, and like I said, when when he started to scream, I was like, "This isn't just a this isn't the Beatles anymore. This this is a guy like." Like, who screams and gets angry and sings and gets angry? I'm a kid. Isn't this a kid album? I got it in a fish pond. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's a man screaming and yelling, and, and he, he sounds like, you know, and it was, it was really cool. And and then even 
even uh, when the music's over, like as even as I got older, just to to have a guy, you know, again, these guys broke in the 60s, so they, they were ahead of the curve, but to have a guy even them then singing about the music being over, you know, when, when the music's over, it was just such a, obviously, I, I, I think he, he meant life, but, but the fact that he, he called it music and, and just, I don't know, that, that, that he was thinking about the end of time and death and stuff like that. It's like, it, it was just like, I don't know, it was, it was heavy and intelligent and, and, uh, you know, it just kind of drew you in, you know? Oh, this, this record couldn't have come on the list at a perfect time for me. Yeah. I mean, and nothing against Bob Dylan or, or Clapton or, or anything that we've done, but this was like, like to be able to like really dive into this, it's like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Now I understand why Jim Morrison's like that iconic picture of him, like with the, with the fucking sex eyes. Yeah. yeah. Like I get it. The all Jesus now. picture. Oh. Is, yeah. Oh, sign me up for that religion. Can I can can I convert to Morrisonism or whatever it is? Yeah, what's what's his uh, lyric? Um, Cancel your subscription to the resurrection. All right, do you want to dive into the record? Yeah, please. Right, let's, let's dive do into it. it okay? Please, this is All right, fun. Because there's so many great songs on this album. All right, so first, Go Strange Days. Yeah. What a, and also, what a perfect record to to break down because that is the most apt title of a record and it hits so perfectly right now yeah so strange days is the opening song uh the first thing that i noticed is how different and darker this was from the debut um because i went back and listened to that and then uh this song was also probably one of the earliest uh songs to use the moog synthesizer wow so uh here i'm gonna play probably yeah, my please. favorite moment on the yes. entire record uh peter play 46 seconds in bro that organ right yeah, there that yeah. is one of my favorite things i've ever heard in my life you know, you know what I say about that organ? What I can that? only take so much of a squeaky 60s organ. Bro. Oh, come on. You're not a teacher. Remember? That's what I he remember. said. That's what he no, said. But that's what he was probably referring to. But know, that sounds great. And that statement? Yeah. Yuck face. Yuck his face, So this was written uh, amongst many others on this album before their debut. Really cool fact I found about this. In 2012, the three remaining doors went into the studio with rapper Tech Nine to record a reworking of this, including Jim's vocals, that was titled Strange 13. Do you know who Tech Nine is? No. Sounds like Tech- a fishing lure. Te- <laughs> it's, 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 I think it's, I caught a smallmouth bass in Lake Okeechobee on one of those. Uh, the, 100%. Because that's where he got the name from. But oh. he's uh, he's a part of the Insane Clown Posse crew. Oh, I so did a movie for them. T- did you really? I, I was in the Insane Clown Posse movie. How long big, ago? Big and Money why Hustlers. Haven't I seen- really? Yeah. What do you play? I play Officer Harry Cox. Oh, I see that. I came up with the line, honk if you love sugar. <laughs> I just like your name. That's what she said. Harry uh, Cox. Harry Cox. Yeah, did was, you write that? Or was, did no, they? that was the character, yeah. Because you would have been like, dude, I'm I'm Harry Focaccia bread. <laughs> Hello. 
Hey, everybody. So you guys have probably heard me talk about how I've been in bands my whole life. Uh, I love writing songs and performing in front of crowds. Uh, just like with comedy, as a musician, it can be kind of hard to cut through the noise and really stand out as an artist. I feel like half the music projects I've been in have ended just because we couldn't figure out the answer to that eternal question of how do we get people to hear us? But then again, that was before there was DistroKid. DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that brings your sound to the masses. It's a one-stop shop for getting your songs on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many more. What's Deezer? I've never even heard of Deezer. How many of them are there? I know all that. That's like the holy grail of streaming services, though. And and getting paid. They want to. We want to get you paid for your music. That's huge because a lot of bands go broke before they get big. But DistroKid collects earnings and payments and sends 100% of these earnings to artists minus banking fees and applicable taxes. And that's just one of the tons of benefits of using DistroKid. You can send big files to anyone with their instant share feature. You can use the hyper follow feature to promote your release and get pre-saves on your song. You can even create personal landing pages for yourself, your band, your brand, and whatever you like. It has a free Spotify canvas generator too to generate your own Spotify canvas for your songs. And the Mixia feature instantly masters your tracks for higher quality audio. So if you're ready, to bring your band to the next level, it's time to check out DistroKid. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Listeners of this show can get 30% off their first year by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the 500. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash the 500 for 30% off your first year. Dig it. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So, all right, so what I want to ask you, because this is called Strange Days, tell me about the strangest day in your life. The strangest day in my life? Yeah. Oh, my God. You know I'm Harlan Williams, I right? That. I, I've That's got like about it. a million strange days. Give me the tip top. One of the strangest days I had, I was... I was working for the police in Toronto, and every day I had to drive down to the commissioner's office at police headquarters and deliver stuff. Oh, I, for a second I thought you were working for, like, the band, the police. No, for <laughs> the police for real. Okay, you're working for the police. And it was it was an interesting uh, relationship I had with them. One, one day I, I had to wear a police-issue shirt, and okay. one day uh, I was over at a buddy's house, and he had a silk screening industry, and he silk screened the picture of Jack Nicholson as he's coming through the door in The Shining saying, here's Johnny on the back of my shirt. And I wore it into the police commissioner's office and my boss almost got fired for it. But I'm straying. So so I was driving <laughs> home one day and I was going through this horrible breakup with this, my college sweetheart. We We were on and off again for five years. And I was at this point where... 
I was thinking of getting into stand-up comedy, but I was also thinking, do I want a life with her? I got a secure job with the police. I got this. Anyways, I was so kind of mixed up on what to do. I was pray- I started praying. I go, God, please give me the answer. Help me. What do I do? Do I follow my dream? Do I move to high? Do I, do I stay with her? And, and for the first time on my run, I, I drove past my building on the way home and I went up the road about three or four miles to this burger joint called the fire pit. And you know, the logo was like flames and all this and that. And I walked in, there was no one there. I ordered a burger. I sat down. It was one of those bench things, you know, I have a bench, a table, and then on the other side, I sit down. I'm just about to bite in my burger. I'm looking down at my burger and I, I feel someone slide in the bench across from me. And I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck? So I look up and it's this lady, probably about 40 years old, gray hair. I look up, I look right into her eyes because she's, we're this close. I look right into her eyes. Her eyes are a color I've never seen in my life. They were like a charcoal gray. And I looked in her eyes and, and I just felt the hairs on my butt. I was terrified. I'm I'm a horror guy. It's like a thermometer. The fear just went like that. First thing in my head, I went, oh my God, she's dead. Like I thought I was looking at a dead, those eyes were dead. Sure. And I, I, I couldn't speak. I, I, was te- I was filled with terror instantly. I, I said, oh my God, she's dead. And then she looked at me and she goes, I died 12 days ago. And I just, I, I was, fro- I wanted to scream. I was so terrified. I couldn't talk. And I just sat there and I grabbed the table and she started talking. She told me, she goes, I'm a diabetic. I was dead for 12 minutes. I went to this place. I saw a man with a flowing cape and a flowing beard. And he talked to me and she started talking about like being with God. And I just let her talk. I, suddenly I went from being like terrified to totally like, can it's, you pass it, me it, the mustard? <laughs> no, no, it's it's like it, it totally flipped. It went from being terrified to I was drawn into her. Oh my god, charcoal eyes? Yeah, I'd be drawn into that too. And I was a like, dead person. I didn't want her to stop. I was like, I felt like I was with another entity, and I never said a word. And she talked for about I don't know seven minutes. She got up, stood at the table, looked down at me, and said, "Find the right girl." And she walked away, and I just, I just sat in the chair. Are you like, serious? This is a real story, dude. Because I've heard some, some, some wangzukis from you before. No, and... this is a hundred percent. You asked me for one of my no, weirdest stories, it... dude. I, you were talking about how the hair stuck up on your skin. Yeah, like, I'm, my hairs are sticking right, right now? now. Oh my god! Just feel, hearing it. Feel. I know you don't like well, COVID. COVID. All right. Can I get a picture of them? Yeah, or, I'll send it to you. Or can maybe cut a few off and send them later, and I'll touch them. Oh, it's like Horton hears a who, <laughs> except put Horton it, hears an angel. The, put it in the third pocket, oh. lock it, lock dig it, it a hole, put it in the socket, <laughs> and rock it. I saw a t-shirt once that said, Horton hears a who, and then you saw the little thing in his head, and there was a voice coming out that said, hey, Horton, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, this yeah, was yeah. this was the weirdest, like, scariest thing and i don't know if she was an angel i don't know if she it was might not the even devil. she might not even been there dude. you know what i thought that so when when she left she went out the side door i got up and ran to the door after a, like like 40 seconds and I, I i thought i bet she's not there and i ran and i hate direct but i saw her walking down the street but 
I, it, you know, part of me goes, cause it was the fire pit. I go, was that a demon? Was that a, like, at first I thought she was a demon because of the eyes. And I thought she was, and the first thing out of her mouth, I'm dead. But then by the end I was, I, I couldn't get enough of her. Like it was like she was joy. Like Tony Robbins. It was like, like you were joy. Just drawn in. I was drawn. Like I, I, I didn't want her oh, to wow. leave. I did. Like I've never experienced that in my life. And then the fact I went there because I was tormented and I had prayed to God to give me a, a message about this girl. And the last words, she just looked. She goes, "Find the right girl." Wow. It, it blew and that's what my you mind. were thinking about. That's why I went oh, there. My... That's why I went there. Oh I, my I never God. drove that route. And that one day, I drove there. And I went there because I was distraught and I was praying and I needed a place to think. And this stranger like sat, it, it was bizarre. So that's one of the s- strange so things. So let me ask you this then. Thinking about something like that to happen to you, this whole completely like metaphysical thing. Yeah. When you listen to this song, does it, what kind of emotions does it bring up? Does it make you feel like, it, like do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, this is, that's, ba- this song basically is like the blanket. As she's leaving, it should have been like, gang, 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 gang. And you're just like eating your friend, gang, 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 My burger was cold. Oh, it was sitting God. there for can't eat that. No, you know what it makes me think of? It? I, I think it's because I'm so enamored with Jim. It, 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 most of his songs, I fall into the lyrics, but because this lyric is Strange Days, I always just think about not, I don't interpret the lyrics, but I always just think about Jim and his strange days. Like how yeah. how he was such an eclectic guy and an artist. and spir- I thought every day he must wake up and, and it's strange the way people react to him and his thought process, like doing acid in the desert. Yeah. And, and so I, whenever I hear it, I, I always just think of him. I don't think of me or other people. I always think Jim probably wrote strange days because every day was probably so strange to him that was perfect that was perfect all right let's move on to the second track uh your lost little girl uh what i love about this song is that in my opinion this is jim morrison at his most sinatra like this is sinatra morrison uh peter play a little bit i think that you know what to do I mean, this is like, this is crooner, dude. He's a crooner. He's it's his little Jimmy, little Jimmy croon shoes. It is, but I I have one crooner, my favorite crooner part. I have a lyric. I can sing it again if you want. Please. Like you're right. This is a great crooner, but there's one crooner moment he does, that's kind of like the butterfly line. Mm-hmm. But to me, I'll be honest. I've sung it. Like we've all been out on that date with that beautiful girl where it's going Speak perfect. Speak for yourself, bro. Oh, you don't date girls? You <laughs> date threes, bro. Oh, dude. I don't get I don't get above fives. Oh. I'm single, people. You How? know? Is it do I I know I look like the bad guy from Princess Bride, but Do you ever date actresses? Like cuz I know this Cloris Leachman. Have you heard of her? Dude, I would date Cloris Leachman. Yeah, I'm friends with her. Are you, you Are you down? I mean, was she like 80, 84? Uh, 87. But she's an actress. Actresses she's an Oscar-winning are, actress. Actresses are hot. Do you want her? I mean, I can hook you up. 
I'd go out on a date with Cloris Leachman. Okay. If you, I mean, if you're not lying, and if you don't mind, sec. Like I met her on Tinder about two months ago, and I'm, I kind of, we did a thing, and we did oh, okay. something behind carnies and stuff. But I'm done with I'd her. I'd go ask about so, you, bro. Are you like, are you okay with seconds, dude? Can we, can we senior dig, seconds? Can we dig up Madeline Kahn because I'd go on a date with her too? Really? Oh my god! Wow, dude, those are two of the funniest women alive. Oh, okay. Well, I've, and I'm attracted I've, to that. I'm, oh, I'm not you just are? attracted to looks. I'm attracted to. So you're the type too. of guy when a girl's orgasming, you like to hear a joke as opposed to a moan. <laughs> like instead of oh, oh, you like to hear knock knock. <laughs> Dude, that's what I was about to say. You were. <laughs> See how God. we're the same. We are in family. each other's oh, heads oh, and family. family. All right. So wait. Tell me. Tell me. Okay. Wait, so so so, so my favorite crooner lyric and so. so you're on this date with a beautiful girl, and, and you, you're doing a little drinking, and you get closer and closer, and you have that beautiful kiss with her, you know, and it, it's one of the, it's, it's not just a cheap date, it's one of those ones where you're feeling magic, you know, you're feeling that poetry like Morrison sings about, and so whenever it got to that point, I probably, probably did this to about three or four girls, but I'd give right up in their ear, and if it was the right vibe, I'd, I'd croon the Morrison, my favorite little before you, you slip, slip into, into unconsciousness, I'd like to have another kiss, another burning chance at bliss, another kiss. That's my favorite. Dude, so you, romantic. You love singing. The doors, yeah. Because I heard yuck from one of my, yeah. Did you just say yuck? No, your no. Face I was thinking of my sister. Oh, okay. I was to my okay. sister because she listens to this show. Well, we're we're homies with <laughs> the same dude, Mikey Rosenbaum. Yeah, Lil Mikey, Rosie, yeah. and he told us an amazing story about you guys at Burning Man crooning. Oh, geez. A door song to each other the whole time. So I want you to take us on that trip with you. It might it might have been that. It might have been that. well. The problem with with me and Rosie is we love the eighties. Oh, he loves. So the 80s, we yeah. we sang not just the Doors but everything. But it might have been that that song. So wait, tell me, give me the situation. What are you guys all hopped up on ketamine? Well, what is ketamine cat again? Cat tranquilizer. I can't believe you don't know about ketamine. I don't know about. It. I'm not a cat person. Chloris has cats. I don't. I'm a dog person, and I still did ketamine. What? I'm a THC guy. I do. I do the big stuff. I do horse tranquilizer, angel dust. That's 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 you know horse tranquilizer and cat tranquilizer. I said did. Now did. I'm into rhino. Have you ever heard of a rhinoceros? You should see the shit they put those down with. Bro. And you're taking that? Oh, dude, I'm on it right now. You think really? I could? You think I could sing Morrison without it? You gotta get comfortable, dude. Fucking I get it. There's yuck a lot your of people. Face. Here. Yuck your face. That was to my sister, not yeah, you. But I was saying it to you because oh, I just, I just felt it in that moment. Wow, oh, dude, take your. Like Morrison's channeling you. It's like, like slicing like a fresh rye bread right oh, now. We're just getting oh down to the nitty gritty. So tell me, so I you guys swear, because I, I remember you. I ran into you. <laughs> I, I, I you, swear the, by the mist in Stevie Nicks underpants. Ooh, what, that's a good one. What are you about to say? Well, no, because you're like a you're like a Burning Man dude, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I so was supposed like, to go this year and they canceled uh, it. Um, do you hear what's going on? No, COVID. Oh yeah, yeah. You know about that. COVID right? man. COVID man. He's the worst superhero yeah. of yeah. them all. 
Yeah. You know, like I, I hate the the uh, Ebola kid. Oh. He's the worst. What about Sars McGinty? Oh. He wasn't even a superhero. He was just an Irish guy. Well, you know, uh, Gingivitis Smith. Oh, God. Yeah, I think, isn't he cousins with Halitosis Steve? <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, they stink. They stink. But if you go fishing with them, it neutralizes and then there's no smell at all. Yeah, you use uh, the Tech 9. Bingo, baby. <laughs> Bingo. Bring it back. See what I did? Well, yuck Wait, your so what face. Are you, yuck your face. Yuck your so, face. So tell me, like, like, what are you guys doing? Are you just in, like, like loincloths? You, you want to like, actually, this painting? is from Burning Man. I That's want, definitely this, a this Burning, Man Burning Man shirt. But no, we would we would run around in you know we'd have costumes we'd have we'd put makeup on our face we wore crazy hats sombreros um I had a I had a manic a a, a, a ventriloquist doll with me named Little Coco I mean we just we just you know you you do everything there it's just it's crazy it's like living in a dream at Burning Man so you're in loincloths you're singing the we're doors. running around yeah. and we're just we're just like having a blast man you have you've never been have you i haven't but i've been to a bunch of raves so it's this very is, similar it's like it's like I don't it's know. like a raves for 40 year olds i don't above, know right no no there's there's everyone's a burning man yeah it's i'll go i'll go oh, i'll go because i now what i've decided because of covid and listening to records like this yeah you got it you got to take life gotta by, live. The, by the loins and you got to go you know what as soon as this shit's over, like I'm going out, I'm doing everything. I'm gonna yeah. skydive. Yeah. I'm gonna go to uh, Six Flags. Six Flags. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's all I came up with so far. Um, you ever done Denny's like after midnight? <laughs> do that. Try that. I'll well, if you're that. gonna do the other two, yeah, I know. Why not but, make a know. three pack out of it? It's just, you know, you ever been to a Denny's late at night? That's yes, that's why I'm recommending you know, <laughs> it. You said you wanted to live again. You know who's you know who's at Denny's late at night? Oh, here we Lost go. Lost little girls. Oh, great segue. You Yuck your there? fucking Yuck face. Your fucking face. All right. Now we've come to probably one of the more iconic Doors songs, Love Me Two Times. Uh, this is also my favorite version of Jim Morrison. Uh, oh, how come? Well, we're gonna hear it. We'll okay, play it and great, then we'll talk great. about it. Okay. Peter, play a little bit. <laughs> Love me two times, I'm gone away. Love me two times, baby. Love me twice today. Love me two times, baby. Cause I'm gone away. I love Scream Singing Jim. Which is a, which sounds like a name that you would make up. It is. Oh, uh, you it mean is. Scream Singing Jim? It's also a fishing lure in Minnesota. That's what I heard. Uh-huh. Uh this this is one of my favorite songs. Uh, You're going to like my story about this one, but you go. Well, I was going to say, an edited version of this was the second single. It was mainly written by guitarist Robbie Krieger. Uh, also, i got to give a shout-out before we get to that story. Yeah. Uh, play a little bit of the harpsichord solo by Manzarek. Oh, yeah! Picture Amadeus playing this with his wig, his powdered wig. Dude, people always say, like, what concert you'd want to go to. If anybody, alive or dead, you go to any concert, and everybody's like, I want to see Bob Marley in Jamaica, or I want to see Pink Floyd, you know, when the wall came out, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And I'm like, fuck that, dude. I want to see Mozart. Oh, wow. Like, drop in a symphony. Like, Beethoven? Right. What would it, you know, to go see Beethoven's ninth? Wow. His ninth concert ever? Well, no, his, his Ninth Symphony. You've heard of that, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and how dope would that be to see that live? Okay. Um, I think if I had a time machine, though, I'd rather see dinosaurs. All right. Did they wear wigs? I think so. The the Wigasaurus? (laughs) Wigasaurus? But I, can I tell you the story tell about me the this story. song? No, go ahead, please. Love me two times. So, as you know, I, I became a huge Doors fan as time went on. I moved to Los Angeles, okay, and I'm here, and I don't really know anyone yet. I'm I'm, I'm the new kid in town, as the Eagles once sang, right? And I made the acquaintance of this beautiful girl, kind of a hippie-ish kind of girl I was doing a stand-up show and she introduced herself we started like kind of hanging out she knew I loved the doors so she goes let's go on a date on uh you know Saturday night I say great man so here we are in Los Angeles she goes let's go over to Pink Dot on Sunset Boulevard and pick up like some beers right that's a little con- it's like a 7-Eleven but it's very LA it's, it's right, right down it's the street right down the street from here yeah Pink Dot it's kind of famous here in LA yeah so we go to Pink Dot pick up like a 12 pack of Frosties and I go, where are we going? She goes, you'll see. And she knew I liked the doors. So we drive up the road. We get up Laurel Canyon. She, she like, parks her car. And we get out in front of this, like, house that's kind of, like, like, kind of abandoned. Like, there's, there's, there's no windows in it and everything. It's, it's like, the, it's just drywall and the, the studs in the house and everything. And it's open so you can walk up into it. So she grabs the beers. And she grabs a ghetto blaster out of her car and some candles and some incense. Ooh, I love this girl. And I go, I go, yeah, she was great. And I go, where the hell are we going? We go up into this place. We go into this empty, abandoned house. And I start looking at the drywall. And people have written and painted all over it. The Lizard King lives and lyrics from his songs and all this stuff. And I go, where are we? She goes, this is Jim Morrison's house. Oh. And I'm like, get out of here. So here we are. This was before they boarded it all up, before somebody bought it. So here we are, my first date in L.A. I'm in Jim Morrison's house on Love Street on Laurel Canyon. You know that song, I Live on Love yeah. Street? That's a, they, it's a real street here in Los Angeles. So his house was on Love Street. He named it Love Street. Yeah. And so here I am in this house, in Morrison's house, with this beautiful girl we're playing this song and others, and she, she pulls out the beers, turns on the doors in the in the in the in the ghetto blaster, lights the candles, lights the incense. We're slowly getting drunk. Yeah. We start making out. Yeah, and it was just magic, dude. It was just and and you know I told you about kind of that connection I had with the doors. Yeah. And so here I am in this guy's house, where all the ghosts of him are, you know, if you watch the doors movie by, by, um, Oliver, Oliver Stone, Stone yeah. there's all those scenes where I had the, they had the Thanksgiving dinners and everything that was in that house. And so it was just like, it was just so cool. And then, and then about a year after, uh, somebody bought the house, they boarded it all up. They redid the house. It's still there. It's the still ha- there, right? It's was, still there, yeah, but you they, can't, that's like gotta be like a landmark almost. Right, and now they have a. They just last year put a placard up, a historical placard that says, "This is Love Street." Jim, it's not officially, but Jim Morrison's song "Love Street" is "This is the Street." So there, there's a little street that runs parallel to Laurel Canyon for about it's about probably three quarters of a mile long. Yeah, 
and that's where the house is, right at the top of Love Street. Oh, that's so And so, so that cool. little strip, he called that Love Street. Dude, what a what a wild? cool like experience. No wonder you're doing this record, dude. Yeah. You've got so many fa- so many great stories. Yeah. Yuck your face. Yuck your twat. <laughs> Ooh. What, that's the X-rated version. Sorry, I didn't mean it. Hippie girl <laughs> going to pink dot. Yuck your face. Yuck your twat. Yuck your face. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, next song, uh, Unhappy Girl. Uh, this is probably the most 60s sounding song ever. Peter, play the song. Unhappy girl. Doesn't it have kind of like that, like, incense, peppermints, ripples in time? Yeah, it does. It does. It's got, that's one of those ones that always fell between the cracks for me. It felt a little bit too, like, soft. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. I know exactly what you're saying. In in my opinion, that, well, I'm not, because I don't want to shit on horse latitudes either, because that's Jim at the most Jim. Yeah. But, but Unhappy Girl is like, I don't think it really fits with the vibe of this record to yeah. open with Strange Days, yeah. you know, to do Love Me Two Times, and then to come to this. It's just like what I said, it's, it sounds like a lot of the other shit yeah. that was coming out probably around that time. Yeah. Uh, there is a little factoid about it. Ooh. This song continues the story of the estranged lover from their songs, Your Lost Little Girl and Love Me Two Times. So this completes the unofficial Sad and Estranged Girl trilogy on the record. And what's funny is I didn't even realize that there was like a theme yeah, right. Until Morty wrote that. Yeah, I didn't either. Thank you, I'm, Morty. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. Uh, Ray Manzarek recorded some piano on the reversed tape so it would play backwards. Did Whoa. I make sense when I said that? Ray Manzarek recorded some piano on the reverse tape so it would play backwards. Oh, I think if you say that backwards, I'll get it. Backwards play, would it? So tape reversed the on-piano some recorded Manzarek Ray. Are you fucking serious, bro? Dead serious, bro. Whoa, that's so cool. I never would have known that. Um, You think. What, I think? No, you think. Oh. For for doing it backwards. Come well. Yeah, I do some. Your. Come well, your. That's what she said. No, said she said does. She, so this is, this is freaking me out, dude. Oh, dude. This is freaking me yuck out. Yuck your face, bro. Um, yuck your face, bro. Um, when did a girl first make you cry? Let's talk about lonely people. Oh, damn. That's a good question. When did a, when did a girl first make me cry? Damn. Yuck your face. Oh, you know, it might have been, yeah, yuck my face. It might have been when I was in high school, um, I fell in love with this girl in my class, a Japanese girl who would sit beside me in class. And when she first sat beside me, I was like, hey, whatever, hey, how you doing? And then every class like you know every time we had the class I'd, I'd feel more and more like butterflies when she'd come in and sit beside me and I realized oh my god I don't know what love is but I think this is this it this is it yeah and and so I I think I think I got so like emotional about her that I think I think I cried a few times because I I loved her but she didn't love you and I couldn't tell her why couldn't you tell her 
because we were friends and we were all in the group together. And, and then it was driving me nuts. Like I'm an artist. So I, I started drawing her and I started writing poetry about her and I couldn't stop thinking about her. And one day I just said to her, I, I said, hey, yuck your face. And what did yuck she say? say? She said, will you marry me? No. <laughs> um, I, I, I said, can, can, can we like go for a drive together? I got to tell you something, you know? So, so we just, she said, yeah. So we just drove like out into the country at night. And I found an old church, like an old country church. I remember I said, I'm just going to stop here. We sat on the steps and we talked. And I said, I, ju- I just got to tell you, like, I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what you, and I'd never told a girl I loved her before. And I just said, I, I got to tell I-, I love you, you know? And what she said? And she was just quiet for a minute. She goes, she goes, that is so nice. That's so sweet. She goes, I don't feel the same, oh. but. But you know what? I was so happy. I, I that said you her, said it and you I, got it out. I said yeah. it to her. I said, just, you know, I'm I'm bummed that you don't feel the same way, but you have no idea. I, I'm so happy right now. I want I want to climb a tree and scream because I, I I've got it out. I, it's not torturing me anymore. And and it's in the universe. And it's like at least it's out in the world now. So, but I think I think there were a few nights where I cried or because I, I was just so emotional about her. Like I loved her. Dude, love is. Love's a heavy thing, dude. It's heavy, especially when you're young and oh. you don't understand it yet. Yeah, dude, I've got like, when girls, I've had like cigarette burns on my arms because I used to put out cigarettes because when I was so in love with girls oh and they didn't want to be with me, I'd just get drunk and be like, <laughs> I just oh, want to wow. feel something. It's not a lot. You can yeah. see. There's oh, one wow. there. See yeah. that, dude? I covered it up with the dog paw. Oh, dude, wow. but it's just like, that's the whole thing about, about being young and then yeah. being old and the way love changes because when you're younger, it hurts and you never feel like you're going to come out of it. Yeah. So you cry and you yeah, just become yeah. emotional. You do poetry. You do all this stuff that you did, that Jim did. But when you get older, you're just like, you don't want to date me? Yuck your face. Yeah. Give right. a shit. Now you cry because you can't get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, please. Dear no, God. that sounded bitter. But no, it's it's true. Like the, the there's something so beautiful about that young love. And I, th- I think that's what was cool about Morrison, too, like appreciating him during my adolescence because he was an artist that 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 got below the layers and and you could interpret the lyrics and they they were poetic and they moved you and that's why I like singing that line in that girl's ears because it was just, it was just deep oh yeah because they this is how deep it is he the, he comes back with the next track horse latitudes which is some of the strangest shit out there even the name horse latitudes yeah, yeah. sounds like something you'd make up you know well, I mean? it is a fishing lure. <laughs> like, I caught a northern <laughs> no, pike on it once in Alberta. <laughs> well, okay. If you're right. not going to Peter, gonna play, f- me. play 50 seconds in Horse Latitudes. Awkward instant. And the first animal is jettison. Legs furiously pumping. Their stiff green gallop. And heads bob up. This is, in my opinion, this is just Jim tripping balls, pushing the limits, yeah. influenced by the out there tactics of the Beatles and Sgt. Pepper. I yeah. feel like something like this is like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 can, I can dig that. The coolest shit about this is Jim keeps getting more intense as the song goes on. Uh, cool fact, this was a poem he wrote in high school after seeing a book with sailors throwing horses off a ship to lighten the load and conserve food and water. Wow. Or, if you're trying to be positive, it was sailors throwing horses off of ships to feed the starving sharks. 
I could see that. Yeah. But you know what I love about Yeah. What I love about it is is that, you know, I don't know if anybody presented poetry in the way Jim did. Like most people, most poetry was probably presented in coffee houses at, at poetry readings. Yeah. The tree whiffed in the wind and the child smelled like onion buns, you know. But Morrison was screaming it. He was raging it. He was yelling it. He was like he was like screaming it to the gods. Like that clip you just played. He's like, rah, 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 yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's very like, Clash of the Titans. Yeah. Like he's out on like an Olympus rock, and he's yeah, just like, there's just, Zeus, you father have forsaken. Yeah, it's like he was he was like he was like ramming. You know, it, it's probably like the Beatles, and then came Anthrax. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like that screaming heavy metal. That's what Jim was to poetry back then. And it was just, there was such a rawness to it. And that's that's what I loved, the way he attacked poetry, you know? But the, the lines, regardless, were, some of them were heavy, but some of them were flowery, but he would still like, Kind of, you oh. know, the child's fragile eggshell mind. You but know? also, and also, he's got the wind sounds, and if yeah. you put wind sound on anything, oh, anything, it takes the intensity level up to like forty-five. Oh dude. god, have you ever done poetry while you're doing a Dutch oven? It's just the. It's, tell me about it. <laughs> no, it's just the wind sounds are unbelievable. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Anyways, but I, I just, I just that that was another thing that was very novel, and I think knew about yeah. Jim and the Doors. I don't think anyone people were pushing lyrics. But I would I would challenge you to say that lyrics are different than poetry, even though they can interconnect. Sure. I think a poem is structurally, and the intent of a poem is different than a song lyric. You know yeah. what I mean? And and I feel like Jim was the first guy to maybe breach that and somehow splice the two together in a way. Yeah. But then marry that with like instead of reading a poem softly and gently, he he was he was injecting all this rage and passion and oh it was well, just I would, so cool. I, I would put Jim like poet first, then in a band second. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I watched this documentary on him and that's like all he cared about. And he tried to believe the band just to be you know that girl Pamela kept like you know, pressuring him to, she's yeah. like, it makes you happy to be a poet, then just be a poet. You know, that's the only, only time where I worry about, and I hate to use the word pretentious with Jim, but th there's times where I go, you know, he just wanted to be a poet, but yet he, he dove so deeply into this rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, you know, don't, don't kind of make it seem like you're above being a rock star because you wanted to be a poet. Like you did both, dude. You are both. Yeah. Like like don't try to escape one because your songs are your poetry too. And by the way, your your songs are going to be remembered for eternity. Your poems aren't. I well, hate to say it. No, you know? I, you know, I completely agree, but I mean, there's some people that just don't want the fame i don't believe it though that that's where I, I i i don't believe it i don't i just feel like you know it, it, it why would you even start singing why would why would you jump around in leather pants and do all the performance yeah. if you didn't want the fame you'd just go out like adele stand there with a hot dog sing some lyrics and go back to the green room and slap an old lady in the ovaries <laughs> or whatever point. she does what does she do do you are you an adele fan a huge fan is that she, what she does or she, i don't know she goes out first thing she says is 
Yuck your face, everyone. Oh, yuck your face. Yuck your face. Oh, yuck your face, It's so eh? good to see everybody. Would you grab my Tech 9? <laughs> Would you get my Tech 9? Yuck your face, you twat. Light yeah. some candles. Fucking ming in there. Fuck your face, Now your I'm going to do a eh? poem. Cue the wind noise, please. Oh, it's a Dutch oven, in there? <laughs> shove it. Fucking, shove it. Oh, we've got there. Indian curry Dutch oven, there. Fucking yuck your face, you yuck, twat. Yuck your face. You fucking you twat. fucking face. Fucking twat. Moonlight Drive. This is oh, this is one of my favorite. Just the title, just the it's, title. Yeah, dude. And uh, what the, a fishing lure. And, the, and this is not only great. <laughs> I use it at night. I use it this at is, night. This is great because it's got more of the scream singing, and I yeah. love the scream singing. Uh, Peter, play the third verse for me. Let's swim to the Oh my god. I did I love it when he amplifies it. Even in the poem, it's just like Jim Morrison's voice is at its best when he's screaming. There's yeah. the passion. Like yeah. you feel it. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the US like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. So this, there's a cool fact about this song is this was Jim Morrison's sort of audition for Manzarek. So in 1965, uh, they're in Venice Beach and he asked what he was up to and Jim said he was writing songs in his mind and when Ray asked him to sing one, he sang an early version of this which made Ray say, You're going we're going to start a band and make a million dollars. Yeah. And it and in the movie The Doors, I think um um Oliver Stone had it where Ray just looks at him and goes, Those are great fucking lyrics, man. I don't think I've seen that movie. Those Should are I- great fucking lyrics, Morrison. And then he goes, and that's that moment where they go, let's start. Yeah. Oh, you got to see it. He's like, great listen, band. I got this great idea for a fishing lure business. Oh. He's like, forget your lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, that's, this that's, yuck your face bullshit. Yeah. Like, let's go get a, let's out, go dude. get a trout. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, because being that this song was basically his audition, when did you first know comedy was the life for you? Uh, it was when I was a kid. It's weird. I, 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 I always kind of feel weird saying this, but to me, comedy wasn't like a decision or a progression. It, to me, it was like a weird calling. It was it was inside of me, and I just, I knew at an early age that I was going to do it, like I was going to do something in the entertainment industry, and I knew I was able to come up with comedy that was different than other guys comedy and I knew my sense of timing was 
pretty good even as a kid. So I, I, I didn't even know that comedy was a thing. Like I was too young, but I just, something inside me was like, you're going to do this, you know? Did you get like big laughs in class? Yeah, I'd get big laughs. I'd do like plays and I'd do, you know, I wasn't the class clown. It was interesting. I'd be the guy. I'd kind of wait for the class clown to do his thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, then and then he'd do his thing, get a huge F, and then I'd I could call myself the class sniper because he'd he'd do the kind of obvious hammy joke. Yeah. And then I'd come in behind with the clever joke that no one else could ever think of and fucking hammer like bury the big laugh he got. And and that's when the wheels started going, man, maybe I got something. I, I don't know. I just felt like there was something in me that was well, gonna happen when when give me the moment that you realize that this is a profession that you could really make money off of you like, know it's gonna be ridiculous but i went there was a movie back in the 70s called have you checked the children it was a horror movie okay and it was i was in grade 11 or 12 and i was part of a whole group of kids you know we all everyone thought it was hilarious and funny and this movie came out as a horror movie, and we all went. I think about 12 of us went to this movie theater, and it was packed. It was, like, sold out from top to bottom, and we all kind of sat in a little group together. And here's this horror movie, like, really tense, really scary. And going back to my sense of timing, I waited for the perfect moment to yell out things really loud in the movie. Yeah. And instead of people getting mad and saying, shut the, you know, people go, shut the fire, you know, they think you're annoying, you're not. But these, these add-ons were so perfect. They were dropped so, and they were, they were so the right line. Yeah. That every time I did it, the whole theater just started howling. Like, I don't know how many people were in there, 250 people or whatever, whatever a theater holds. And my friends were dying and even as the movie was going on i was just dropping these bombs i i probably did about 6 or 7 of oh, them oh wow it's, it's not like i was doing them every 10 minutes yeah. but i did every one of them just blew, and and in my head like i already knew i was kind of funny but to hear a room full of strangers who couldn't even see me or know what i looked like and to 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 feel the energy and the power that i just got that whole room to laugh in unison at the same moment yeah. i i went I was like, that felt like an energy, a power, and it kind of, it brought into fruition that feeling that I already had that I was, and it was kind of like the forces combined. I went, I went, wow, this isn't, this isn't just a smart ass kid, like yelling out and being an annoying jerk. Like these all fit, these all worked, and the crowd loved it, even though it was a horror movie. They're like, like are you going to be at the 3.30 <laughs> yeah, yeah. showing of this? Because yeah, yeah. you were great. <laughs> I know. But that was weird. Like I said, they didn't even know where I, what I looked like because it was dark, right? So, yeah. so, so I thought, geez, imagine if I could get in front of a crowd and be and expressive yeah. and they see my face and I have actually have a routine. And, and so I think that's what's, what kind of – that was my first shot of, of being live in front of a – how how fast, like how much time was between you doing you doing the movie to yeah. actually getting on stage to do stand up comedy? Oh, this was late. Like I I, I went to college. Well, I oh, went. You waited. Oh yeah, I waited because I I didn't. I wasn't exactly sure what. It, when I say I I knew there was something here, I didn't realize it was stand up. I just knew. Okay. I went. Oh, something's here. I have timing. I have comedy. I can I can create the right words that work. I didn't really necessarily think it was stand up. 
And then as I start, I went through college and this and that, and then I started to go, I know I'm supposed to do entertainment, but what can I do where I travel? I can make lots of money. I can, I can, this thing will spring off into other things. Like I always thought stand-up could go into music and commercials and voiceovers and movies and television and commercial. And so all those things would come off of stand-up. And, uh, and so that was finally the decision I made and it was thankfully the right one, but. Yuck your face, dude. Yuck your face. Yuck your face. Yuck your y- People are strange. Yeah. When I said that's the other song was more iconic, no, this one is. Play the opening. Yeah. People are strange. When you're a stranger, faces look ugly. When you're alone, women seem wicked. When you're unwanted, streets are uneven. When you're down, when you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, all I can think of when I hear this is the movie Lost Boys. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. all I can right. think of, dude. Uh. It's just, and that's what, you know, the funniest shit about that is Echo and the Bunnymen covered this for the Lost Boys soundtrack. It was produced by Ray Manzarek, who also played on the track. And if everybody remembers the great scene from Lost Boys where the Vampire's Cave contained a huge poster of Jim Morrison in his Jesus pose. Yeah, awesome. Just a little connection. So this was the first single from the album. Jim was in a deep depression, so Robbie and John took him for a walk to the top of Laurel Canyon to watch the sunrise. After encountering other people, Jim put the words together for this by the time they got back. So wow. this was written like that was written on Laurel Canyon, where his house is. Yeah, that's the house where I. So they got back to the house. And Harlan Williams was in there with was, a hippie woman, yeah. listening to music, burning in, incense. I was in Jim's bed. He just climbed in with us. <laughs> he's a good snuggler. Yeah. He's squ- he's squiggly, but Oh yeah. Yeah, you know I mean. Still, yeah, god. So what? so tell me tell me your relationship with the song. Do you like this song like I like what? this song and I, I I like it because I I've I've had different incarnations where I've I've misinterpreted it. Like there's times where I go Jim thinks everyone else is strange. Or Jim's strange and he feels alienated, right? Because there's that line where he goes, when you're strange, he, he refers to it, when you're strange, no one remembers your name, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's like, I feel like he's talking about himself being strange, which he kind of was regarded by a lot of people. Yeah. But then I also feel because he kind of walked in his own aura that maybe he thought everyone else was strange. But one of my favorite lines that that I kind of didn't understand till I got older was the the line you played um women seem wicked when you're alone and it it just What do you think that means? Well, I I just I just thought that it meant that you know it was kind of the first rub up I had a, a you know about the concept of of women being like evil. Like I you know as a kid I knew you know, they said Eve was evil because she took the apple. But as I told you earlier, I grew up with four sisters f- sisters who are like probably the most level-headed women I've met to this day in my life. So I thought all women were just completely normal and level-headed and yeah. even-keeled. <laughs> and I'm not saying, you know, and I realize men and women, as you get older, you meet people who are, have emotional issues and are dramatic and can be vindictive or this or that. And 
And so it, it, it was kind of through this song where I started to get a little suspicious of women. Yeah. And it made me wonder, like, wait, why would women be wicked? That's that's a strong word. It's like, a very strong word. And so that was my first inkling that, and I'm not I'm not broad stroking all women because we can all be wicked, but that was my first inkling that, oh, well, wait, I grew up around women. They're perfect, but wait, they could be wicked? And so that was kind of my first little hint that, a woman could be just as wicked as anyone else. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Jim knew. I yeah. think uh, Jim's including himself in I the think strange so, people. Yeah. yeah. I think he completely believes that he's strange. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I wanted to ask you this because I, I found this out that you were a forest ranger yeah. in Ontario for five years. Yeah. So what was the strangest shit people would do up there or that you saw up there? Oh, it was probably something I did. I used to. I used to be a form. I was a foreman up there. I ran a. I ran a lumber camp. I was. I was one of the foremen, and um, you know, I had. I had to handle like like. Uh, I had. A, I had two bunk houses full of guys, and they were. There's probably about I don't know forty people I had to like handle. Yeah, and um, I remember. I remember one night there was this one guy who was a bit of a, a a tough guy, you know, a troublemaker. Yeah. And he was kind of a smart ass and he was he would lip off and stuff and I was the foreman so I had to kind of deal with all these personalities. And I knew this guy wasn't really going to comply to the the whole, you know, let's sit down, let's talk, let's let's dial it back a bit. Yeah. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to get a little funky on this guy's ass and uh, you know, we used to have to take all the garbage up to the dump and there were bears there and there were hunters up there. So, um, one year, every, every hunting season, the ministry of natural resources up there, they would make the hunters hand in the heads of the deer and the moose they shot so that okay. they could do, they could do research on parasites and, you know, they can, science. Yeah, they can determine Science an animal's shit. age by the rings in its teeth, and they'd snap a tooth in half, all kinds of stuff. And so one day I went up to the dump, and there was probably about 70 severed, decapitated deer <laughs> and moose heads in the garbage dump. And there was this beautiful deer with this great big rack, and I just I, I grabbed it, and I, I walked. I walked. I walked. A oh, rack is this. The antlers. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. you meant the like head, the this, head this still the deer head. had great tits. Yeah. So, so that these these heads were intact because they would the, the hunters would bring sure. them. They'd refrigerate them, and so they were they weren't decayed. They weren't they they weren't decomposed. Fresh fresh deer heads. Right. So so I saw this beautiful rack of antlers sitting in this pile of heads, and I waded in about knee deep in deer and moose heads. I grabbed this fucking. <laughs> thing by the antlers i threw it in the back of my truck and then that night i thought i'm gonna scare the living shit out of this guy this is how i'll get him and we as as part of our cutting stuff we had chainsaws and axes and everything but we also had sometimes we'd get into places where we had fields or long grass so we had basically pictured death you know the scythe that death carries around that really long blade like that big blade that you ever see a picture of death with the the black. Oh yeah, paper. yeah, yeah, with the, with the sickle. The side, yeah, the sickle. So so we had a whole bunch of those. So what I did is it got late and I could hear this guy talking away, keeping the other guys up. I went over at night and so what I did is I went in 
I opened the door and I tossed the fucking deer head down the hall. And I watched, and I snuck, and I watched through the corner. I saw, I saw the guy slowly come out of their bedrooms because they heard something smashing down the hall, and and they saw this fucking thing. And they, these grown guys, they started screaming. They ran into their rooms, and then this guy was ranting. So I was outside. I had a one piece, my long johns. Okay, my, I, like you probably looked adorable. Full body yeah, long dude. johns, but You're what, like, look at Ebenezer Scrooge. Right, but <laughs> what I did is I took my pillow slip, and I put little holes in it, and I painted like Spider Man eyes. Right, yeah. so it looked really ominous, and I put it over my head, and I went smashing in the room with the sickle. With this fucking thing on my face, and I ran into his room, and he—I'll never forget—he was sitting in his bed, about to light a cigarette, <laughs> and you weren't supposed to smoke in bed. And I kicked his door open, and I just swung the sickle right in front of his face, <laughs> and buried the tip of the blade in the wall right beside his bed, and he just screamed like a girl. Yeah, dude, that's the scariest shit. I scared them, and he he was, they all saw it, and that was it. He was done. Is attempted murder a crime in Canada? Because you could have been charged with that. Probably, but I scared, they did not see that coming, and so he he behaved himself after that. So that was very strange. You could have just cited him. I could have, I could have, but this was a lot more fun, trust me. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next two songs, not really, uh, they're probably not my favorites. What are they? So we got My Eyes Have Seen You. Oh, yeah. You like that one? I, that one I don't know if I remember as much. Peter, play a little bit of My Eyes Have Seen You. I'll know it when I hear it. You know, it's funny. I was washing my car on the weekend out and out by the garage and I had an old CD player and I had this album on and I was listening it till I, well, I was, and of course in my head, I'm thinking, man, they don't make music like this anymore. Everything's like techno and this and that. Yeah. And then as I'm saying that in my head, my CD must have had a scratch. So it started going, it started like, it started like repeating like I was at a rave, right? And suddenly I was li- listening to the doors like, you know, 2010 style. It was hilarious. So that. Uh, good song. Same with the next one. Do you remember I Can't See Your Face in My Mind? I don't. The opening is the only thing that really sticks out to me. Here, uh, play the opening. Nothing special. Good yeah, song. It's kind of haunting, but it, it, yeah, it doesn't. It's not one of those ones that I think most people. There's probably some guy or girl listening right now are like, "Dude, are you kidding? That's my jam. That's the one where me and my girlfriend. You know, someone always has something for something, right? Oh, dude, I can never win on this. Yeah, if I so try to skip over songs because yeah. we spent too much time on another one. Yeah. Like I have people like, "You're not giving the album the justice it deserves." I'm like. 
So to whoever's out there and that's your song, we we love, we love it, but you. it but it's um it just for for whatever reason it didn't resonate with me and you that because much. Because we have to get to the final oh, song on the record yesh. because this shit yesh. is a wang zuki. When the music's over, uh, this to me uh is quintessential doors. Yeah. Poetry, musically, the slow, the hard, all of it. Uh, yeah. And this is where I feel the doors, doors are at their best, in my opinion. Yeah. It also has the best scream on the entire record. Yeah. Peter, play it. We want the world and we want it. We want the world and we want it. Now. Now. So good. So good. This is kind of the end vibes. Oh, yeah. The, these two songs, you could almost splice them together. And that 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 scream is probably that and Roger Daltrey from Won't Get Fooled Again. Those are probably the two best screams in rock and roll. Uh, I do love this song so much. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and by the way, because I, I, I get confused because it does sound so much like um, the end. Is were were they both featured in Apocalypse Now, or was it just this one Ooh. or one or the other? But Marty, it, just the end. The end. Okay, because because God, you need to be at every fuck. You need to fact checking me as we go. But um, I remember this. I was telling you earlier, back when I was still in Toronto, they had a there was a a big nightclub in in um, Toronto called RPM, and they had uh, '80s Tuesdays. And I would go, and I would go down alone, and I had long hair, and I, I was trying to kind of do the whole Morrison look. And this is just when I'd finished reading No One Here Gets Out Alive. And I'd, I'd, uh, I'd just, this is when I was really falling in love with the doors yeah. as, a, as an adult. And I, I remember one night I went down, and I was dancing around on stage to this song, and I was just, I think it was the last song of the night. And I had some beers, and I was up there alone, and I didn't care who saw me. And I, I remember I walked out of the club, and I was a little bit drunk, and it was a summer night. And just like a few, like a couple of streets down from the club, there was a train. There was a train, and I climbed up on the caboose, and I just laid on the roof. And it was like that light summer, like just spitting rain. It's not drops yet. It's yeah, just yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's, it's just a, It's like a nice. Yeah, and it was like one of those hot, like like stifling nights. And I was hot like, Toronto nights. Toronto, and I'm laying on my this favorite Neil Diamond my, album with my with my shirt open, and I've I've got my black cowboy boots on and my black pants and my and I was just like I I felt like I was Jim Morrison in that that night. It was just weird. The way you described it, it sounded like you were more Lil Nas X. Like the, yeah. you're like I was wearing cowboy boots. I had tassels. No, no, it was like it's like I didn't own leather pants, so I I had black like tight jeans on, and then black like felt cowboy pants <sighs> or or, or uh, cowboy boots. Yeah. Like it's the closest I could get to looking like Morris, and then I had his hair. I had the long, my hair's curly when it goes long, and so it's just like, I just I, I was kind of channeling him, and I was laying up there. I laid up there for about forty five minutes, just pretending I was him, <laughs> and then I realized I reached in my bag. I realized my wallet had fallen out when I was oh. jumping around, <laughs> and I didn't know how to get home. I <laughs> so, such a bummer. So, Has anybody <laughs> found my debit card? Yeah. Debit card when debit the cab card. rides over. <laughs> so you remember how I said a few songs ago that that 
little part I had played earlier was my favorite moment yeah. on the entire record. Yeah, yeah. I lied. I knew Kick it! it. I love this. I think this is a perfect way to end the record. An 11-minute opus. That's how you do it, man. Oh, it An ode to, with equal parts ode to music, apocalyptic nightmare, and ecological protest. Yeah, right. It's deeper than we she think. She ravaged people. and raped her and put fences on her and all that. Or was that the end? Maybe that's I mix these two up. That's the only. But they're they're both epic, long. It doesn't make. Here's the deal. If yeah. if 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 every song that they did was ten minutes long and it had this kind of, you know, we were talking about Beethoven yeah. and Mozart movements. Right. There are movements in this. Mm-hmm. That's why I think this band is is different than than the shit that's coming out probably at the time. And so far out of the shit that we've listened to on this list, it's like this, you feel like every song is taking you to a time period. Yeah. There's a feeling behind it. There's passion behind it. Those long or ding, 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 ding. How, how would you feel if I told you I saw that live? I would be blown away. I went to see The Doors live in 2000. Okay. All of them there. Jim, not there, of course. Of course. But Ray and Krieger and Dunsmore, all there. At the Kodak Theater on Highland and Hollywood oh. for New Year's Eve. Oh. I went by myself. Ian Asbury from The Cult sang. And I was I went in thinking, okay, I'm not getting the doors, but I'm get, I'm getting the getting, three I'm getting, getting the three of them. Close enough. Um, you know, just that sound yeah. to see the organs, to see them playing, to see them all together. And I thought I'll tolerate Ian Asbury. And then Ian came out. And killed it. Like, I was like, I was so happy. Like, I knew it wasn't Jim, but Ian did such an incredible job. Like, I, I walked out. I already loved Ian because I'd seen the cult when I was younger, and I, I loved the cult's music. But but he really gave it all he could, and he nailed the songs, and he nailed the energy. And, you know, it, of course, no one can ever replicate Jim. Although Val Kilner comes close in the Doors movie. I can't believe you haven't I've seen, seen it. I've seen, like, parts of Watch it. Watch the I've, whole thing. Just, you'll, get, watched, you'll get sucked I in. I watched a documentary on him, and, and it was just, you see him as a performer, and it's like, I don't know, you've, you've done the goddamn comedy jam. He's like, I feel like... Like the idea of controlling the audience and how he was like playing this thing, like he knew he had them in the palm of his hand. He knew that he could incite a riot. Who, Jim? Jim, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just, it's like, I, I've after watching a bunch of live performances, like I still think that when you say the best frontman of all time is someone like you know Freddie Mercury because of the voice and he had the control. Uh, I think there's something different with. With Jim Morrison, you're getting a show, man. Like he's giving you everything, or he's drunk, peeing himself, and laying on the, the ground. Well, don't forget, with Jim, you're also getting, possibly, one of the most organic versions of rock and roll, in my opinion. Okay, it, it, it's yeah, like explain it. Come on. Well, like even with Queen and even with Zeppelin and all these greats. They all kind of followed a trajectory of writing songs like they all do. But but with in Jim, you, you know, with all these other guys, you had writers and singers and performers. 
But with Jim, I, th- I think you started with a guy who was organically just a poet and a musician and a voice. And as opposed to, as opposed to these guys going through life and going, hey, I want to do music, I feel like Jim was this seed that from the beginning grew right into music. That was his path. That was his destiny because it, it, it was just so much more real because his, his lyrics are so real. It, it comes from such a poetic, soulful, musical place. Whereas yeah, you can't I, I, fake that. Yeah, it's I don't. Like, I don't it's... like everyone else is talented, but I don't know if they had that extra layer. Yeah, it's, that he had. Yeah, you know, completely. And that's what make will make him always be timeless and stand out because poetry is kind of timeless, you know. And and uh, so there's something just so beautifully organic about Jim Morrison. I mean, we were just we were talking about it earlier. Like, what was the line from that song, which is? Uh, you know something okay was it cancel my subscription to the resurrection i mean i mean that is like that like hits me yeah. and i don't i'm not even sure what it means and i'm yeah. like oh my god yeah, like yeah. that got me in my giblets like yeah, it's just yeah. it's powerful yeah and and that's the lyric that will stick stick with me probably for the rest of my life mm-hmm. yeah it, and 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 you know that those those lyrics don't necessarily come from the same place a lot of other lyrics do, where you're sitting in a room or you're sitting with a sketch pad or you go, hey, Jimmy, what do you think about this lot? Yeah. Like, like I feel like with Jim, they, they come from a, they, they emerge soul. from yeah. the soul as opposed to just kind of being an, an idea on paper. I also know? could see him like standing in a mirror, just like beating himself with a cat of nine tails, kind of wow. like the dude from the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Because he's just like, you're not getting the pain. Ah, yeah. Feel it. Subscription. Ah, I got to cancel my subscription to, <laughs> to Sports Illustrated. Oh, oh, that's a good oh, oh. <laughs> right, you want to do some facts and get out of here? Sure, whatever you want. Cancel all my facts for my facts and facts-y. All right. After the success of Light My Fire from their debut, Buick offered the band a lucrative contract to use in its commercial. Uh, it was called Come On Buick, Light My Fire. As Jim was unable to be found, the other three agreed. But when he found out, he flew into a rage and threatened to destroy a Buick on stage. The deal was dropped but that incident informed the vibe between them starting this record. So that's how they started. Good, good. So you you have a uh, a Tricks Got Milk commercial that yeah. was pretty legendary. Yeah, it was. I won it won an award. Like you know, I think there's like an Oscars for the the Cleos. Yeah, I won a, I won a Clio. You won a Clio? I did a whole bu- I I did commercials for about 3 years when I first got here. I didn't know anything about it, and I think four of them I think I did five, and I think four of them won Cleo. I did a Super Bowl. You're the commercial. Daniel Day Lewis of commercials. I did a Super Bowl, and I'd have no. I did. I had no idea. I go, yes, so. What like, was the Super Bowl commercial? It was a Budweiser one. It was like it was on. I was on safari in Africa, and all of a sudden, like we a tree falls across in front of our Land Rover, and so we're stopped, and they had. Seven trained chimpanzees, real chimps. Nice. An this is old, in your wheelhouse an, right an, here. An old one down to a baby, and they trained them to run up the back of the Land Rover onto the roof, the big one first. He opened the cooler, and they started handing the beers down in a chain to the baby. Real chimpanzees. Real chimps. It was, it was bizarre. Are they sag? They're after. I think they're after, yeah. yeah. After. Yeah. But um, but anyways, what are the tricks commercial? What about it? So wait, but have you have you turned down any commercials? 
Was there any commercials that you haven't, that you've been like, I'm not doing that? No, I because I stopped doing them. I started getting lucky with other like TV and movies, and I, I just thought, I, I don't want to do I, commercials I really feel anymore. like you should be selling shit, dude. I really feel like that's your vibe, bro. What should I sell? I don't know. What was the weirdest? Fishing lures. What was the weirdest commercial you've ever done? Uh, the weirdest. It could have been. It could have been the one you're about to talk about. The the the, the tricks, tricks one. Tell me about it. Well, basically, you know, the commercials all through the '60s, '70s, and '80s was about the tricks rabbit, right? Yeah, I remember. And he he always uh, he always wanted to uh, steal the tricks, but he could never steal them, right? And so the commercial is me as Harland going into a variety store and I buy a whole bunch of boxes of tricks and I run home and I, I'm looking around and I, I lock my apartment. I lock, I have like eight locks on my apartment and I lock and I get a bowl and I get, I get a thing of milk from the fridge and I finally got the tricks, right? And, I, and I, I'm just about to pour them and I unzip my face and you're the rabbit? And the tricks, an animated version of the tricks rabbit comes out, and I go, finally, after all these years, tricks are for kids. Tri-. Finally, and he pours the tricks, and he's about to pour the milk and drink them, and his milk's got one drop comes out, and he goes, ah! And it goes, got milk? Ooh. Yeah. And so and you want a Cleo for that. Well, the commercial won a Cleo. I didn't you don't it. have any. You don't have the actual No, the, the 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 people who did the commercial, but the commercial won it. I didn't win it for did, being in. Did you guys have like a, you know, like a celebration No, dinner? so this was back in the early days of CGI animation and yeah. all that stuff, right? Because this was like in the early oh, 90s. Oh, so the zipping was just so, that was like Terminator 2 with like the morphing. It was kind of before that even. Yeah, I so, know, but I'm saying the same way yeah, that Terminator 2. Yeah, it was kind of like, like, like they, they, so what they had to do is like nowadays they can just shoot you and go off and do it all in post. Yeah. But then for the commercial, they said, okay, because of this new animation technique, your head can't move. So what they did, they built a brace, and I had to rest my head in this brace all day, and just, I couldn't move, and my head was in, and all these, like, lights, and they're filming my face, and I never get headaches. I've had about 12 in my whole life. Yeah. For whatever reason, on that day, I probably had the best, worst I've ever had, and it was the precursor to a flu. So as as the day started, like the first hour I was fine, and then I slowly got where, and then I was just in this thing, like just the last four hours, <laughs> oh, I was I just, imagine. I wanted to curl up and die. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck the tricks, fuck the rabbit. But it, it, the commercial came out great. How much do you make a lot of money off it? Because commercials, people, if you don't know, if you book a commercial, you could fucking you can buy a house. Yeah, the, the, I, I think I did pretty good on it, you know? So Nice, dude. Yeah. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. All right. Backstage before a gig on December 9th, 1967 at the New Haven Arena in Connecticut, Morrison was making out with a female fan in a shower stall. A cop came in and told her to leave, and after Morrison had words with the cop, 
the cop maced Morrison and the girl. After an hour delay to get Jim ready to play, he took the stage and was soon telling the audience what happened. He then became the first musician to be arrested and dragged off stage during a show. Yeah, that's that famous uh, footage. That that's that's um. If you watch the Doors movie, that that scene's very memorable. No, I think that was in the documentary that I saw as well. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 yeah. No, it's it's. Uh, I think yeah, I think that's what started Jim too. Like it, it seemed like that's what started the snowball of him really resenting the authorities yeah. and police being at his shows. And I think that eventually led to the whole rioting thing. And yeah. you know, it really kind of left a bad taste in his mouth. Could you imagine getting maced and then going? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to figure too. He was probably in the throes of passion, so he might have possibly had, you know, an could you imagine erection? Like, can you imagine like being like maced a, with an erection with an the, erect- the shit you'd walk into? Just like, yeah, wow, dude, your hands are like, out, you, your schmeckles flying around. I mean, dude, you could walk into a cement mixer. <laughs> Like, what if you go outside and there's a cement mixer parked and, and then you, you bang get, into it with an erection? And then it covers you in cement and then you're like, ah, And then it hardens. it hardens. So now you're like a statue with a heart on standing in the middle you know, of the then, street. Why weren't there ever statues with erections? Like the way they did like Michelangelo's David? <laughs> yeah. How they, much better David would have been? David would have been better with an erection for yeah. sure. People would have, they probably would have sold more tickets. Yeah. Did you ever see that? Up, uh, there was one of the Naked Gun movies where- Drebin's outside of a building on a window ledge, and there's these gargoyles with with big penises. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gra- he's falling, and he grabs one, and he flies through the window, and he's got it <laughs> in his hand, and this lady's screaming. Hilarious. All right. Uh, where was I? All right. During one of their shows in late December of 67 at the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco, the band stopped the concert to wheel out a television on stage to watch the broadcast of one of their tape performances on the Jonathan Winter Show. Good Lord. Yeah. Weird. Where were you the first time you saw yourself on television? Oh, good question. The first time I saw myself on television? Um, I think it was maybe in Toronto. I got I got a gig doing a, a, a cheesy like kind of local cable TV show called like Date Game or something. It was like a dating a dating show where people would go on dates and then they had like four or five like funny people that would comment on the couple. And I think that was the first time I saw myself on TV. It was really cheesy and stupid and yeah. It's just it's just me being a smart ass going, Oh, look at that guy's hair. Who would go out with that guy? You know, like that type of stuff. So wait, you were you one of the guys trying to date one of the No, girls? I was one of the the, the the commenters. The commenters, yeah. And it was like it was pretty lame. But I was excited because it was like my first I'm like, Oh, I'm on TV. Did you gather people around? No, because it was so mm. lame it was the, the the only time I was really proud, like when I really was on TV where I wanted people to see it was my first time doing the David Letterman show, and that that because that was a big oh that's huge that yeah. was a monumental. So what did you do for that? That I just kind of let people know, and then and then they start all my friends and associates and people. You know, back then when you did Letterman or the Tonight Show, it was a huge deal. Like it 
nowadays it doesn't even matter, sadly. I feel bad for comics nowadays because it doesn't mean anything. But back when I did it, it was huge. Yeah, it, was it was like the biggest thing. And so so when I did it, it's like, you know, all the guys I started in Toronto with, like that I started at the stand-up club. Like, because that was every comic's goal, you know. To get on Letterman, yeah. To get on Letterman. Originally it was Carson, but then when he went, it was Letterman was the next king of late night for everyone. For everyone, yeah. And and so you know all the guys in Toronto and all my all my friends from college and high school and family like you know it's one of those things everybody knows because it was still there was still only two talk shows it was the Tonight Show and Letterman back then you know so so anyways that was uh, that was when I really was was excited for people to see me I just hoped that I didn't bomb yeah which I didn't I had a great set so that made it even more glorious so so i so you we to talk about the first time you saw yourself on television back in like 1999 my cousin worked for the Whoopi goldberg show no oh, yeah. not Whoopi goldberg the queen latifah show okay and he calls me he's like listen man he's like can you come up to new york i need somebody just to be in the audience <laughs> oh, that we you're gonna we're gonna be asking about you have to ask Whoopi a question she's the guest Whoopi goldberg and you have to ask her a question about like why uh why do you think uh they're gonna say something basically about how women care too much about the way that they look and and they're trying to be, I guess talk to Whoopi about it and they wanted me to be in the audience to say say like listen when I, I know I don't look at women that way you know it's like I want the personality and, and this like looks are cool but it's like it's all about the personality right. so they're staging me oh god and so I, I take the train up to New York the day of the shoot comes I'm in the audience they this one girl says something about her looks and then I then they're like is there any guys in here that that you know that feel differently about that and I'm like yeah and first <laughs> thing I said is like Whoopi I loved you and John Jumping Jack Flash, I get this huge laugh, and then I and then I say my spiel, and that's it, right? Yeah. So a month later, the show's gonna come out, and dude, I get like thirty of my oh, friends. No. I'm like 19 years old. Right. We all go to my parents' basement. Oh, no, they cut it. We're getting hot. Yeah, oh. they cut it, dude. I knew where this was going. You knew it yeah. right away. Yeah, because the story wasn't that good, so you knew. No, no, it's be. a great story, but I I knew as soon as you said I got 30 people together. Like that you were dude, caught. Not even yeah. like you only saw me in the audience, like just like a flash. But dude, it was such a buzzkill. We yeah. were taping it on VHS, oh, everything. God. Yeah, it was an awkward uh, yeah, smoke sesh after rough. that. That's rough. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, two more facts. Before yeah. the summer, uh, he founded the Doors. Jim Morrison had been living on canned beans and LSD for several months. Wow. I just love that. Those, Those farts must have been <laughs> magical. Like, he probably farted dude, dragons. Dude I, I, like, dude, I could see your farts energy. Yeah. Are farts really just food ghosts? Dude, is your fart knitting me a poncho? <laughs> Wait here, dude. It's the ghost of pepperoni past. Dude, that fart looks like a herd of gazelle, bro. All right, last fact. After the success of their debut, Electra Records founder Jack Holtzman gave sold each all his records to a fish farm. No called, called the Tech Nine. Remember anything that he said? All right, listen. So basically, the founder of Electra Records said, said to each member he could give them anything that they wanted. Manzarek and Krieger got tape machines. Densmore got a horse, and Morrison wanted a Shelby Mustang GT350, like his friend, celebrity hairstylist Jay Sigbring. Holtzman got Morrison a brand new Night Mist Blue 1967 Shelby GT500 that he called the Blue Lady. Oh. How interesting. Yeah, and Jim didn't want to be a rock and roll star. 
I don't want any fame. I don't, you know, that's what I mean. Like, like that stuff's all part of it. You know, like that's that Jim was, I think Jim was smart enough to know that. I think he's playing it. He's playing it. And that's that he knows it's a legend. But then I think he was smart enough to go, you know, rock and roll and youth probably have a shelf life. So I'll, I'll kind of create this next incarnation of myself while I'm still in this one so that I can, you know, perpetuate my mystical status. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I think he was smart enough to maybe figure that out where I think a lot of them maybe weren't that uh, perceptive about it or something. You I know? feel like I, I feel like the other three, I'm not going to call them squares, but just like Jim, if you put the band yeah. members all together, like yeah. Jim sticks the fuck right. out, dude. It's like Guns and Roses, they're all rock and roll animals. Yeah, dude. Zeppelin, they're all rock, rock and, and roll, roll animals. But, but with the Doors, it was like three nerds and, and a rock star, you know? Yeah. I'm Ray sure. Manzarek. Yeah. yeah. Well, just the <laughs> fact that he played like a, you know, if you think about it, it was a kind of a clunky, weird noisy instrument that whole organ vibe and yeah. I, I without jim's perfect voice to compliment i don't i don't know if any other singer could have oh no this band doesn't work if they don't could have, have worked Morrison. with that with that because no one else to this day uses it it's like a bad church organ that went through a flood and was they, it a harpsichord no it was like, like a, a moog and that he had a few but it, it feels like they took a hairdryer and blew off an old church organ that was in a flood or something <laughs> and, like it's not a great rock like when you think rock and roll you don't think uh you know fucking organ really yeah. you know it's like, like it's, like, it's like when metallica did the full symphony and I'm just like, it's yeah. like you're already metal, dude. Adding a yeah. piccolo is not going to make you that yeah. rip harder, right? You know, it's <laughs> and to do it back then when rock and roll was was being born, when it was emerging, you know, like a, like that was another thing when I was a kid. The organ just seemed so misplaced. But you know, isn't it interesting that now it's what really still to this day defines them? Because yeah. you know, everyone else, you know, Led Zeppelin and well, you know, they had great guitar, but so did Guns N' Roses. But you show me a band even today that has that organ sound, there's nobody. Yeah. So they stand alone I mean, they, I because they of that. Have, they didn't even have a, ba- a bass player. No. Like, there, you have Manzarek playing that, mm-hmm. like, on the keyboard. He that's right. Play, like, and that's yeah. just, like, bass is, like... He was the, the bass player, that's yeah. That's the thump, dude. Um, so I want to ask you this. What was the most extravagant thing you bought when you finally got some money? Oh man, um, I bought this is I don't even know if I should say it. I don't want to just, but I I bought I I pay I had enough money to you know there was a time when I made some really good money and I had enough money to pay. What was the first big payday? First big not it was it the commercials or was it like mm. was it half baked or. No, my first big, really big payday. I did a movie for um, Disney called Rocket Man. Oh, I love Rocket Man, dude. And that 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 was uh, that was when I was like, I was on the hot sheet. You know, I'd done a few other oh, smaller I re- movies. Oh, I remember, and, when, yeah. dude. You, yeah. So, you so. Were, it's you still are, but I mean, you were like, well, not so much anymore. But but I had my moment where where I was the guy, and everyone was throwing movies at me, and and big money for the movies, which which was great. It. It, 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 and it wasn't even so much the money. I say to my friends when I reminisce about it, I go, it was just neat that for maybe three or four years, I was kind of in that A-list zone where where, yeah. where they were chasing me and I was getting these great offers. And 
And I go, even though only a couple of the movies ever came to fruition, which when I really look back now, go, man, if you get anything made, it's a miracle. So I feel blessed that I oh, even... Oh, for sure. But, but just that I had that little moment in time to experience it. And again, Rocket Man happened during a time kind of like the Letterman thing when... If you got asked to star in a movie, you were kind of treated like a movie star. Like everything was big. They took care. They 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 fussed about. Everyone jumped around. Now nowadays, when you get a movie, even like six years after I did Rocket Man, it's like, yeah, you're in a movie. We're gonna fly to yeah. thing and coach. We're not gonna pay you what we used to. Like everything kind of changed really fast. But I think Rocket Man just got in under the wire when it still. You were still like treated like pretty cool. So, so my point is just to have those few years where I was in that zone was quite fascinating and fun. And I, I feel blessed and honored that I, I was there. But to answer your question, the one extravagant thing I bought, I, uh, I was able to pay to have um, Jim Morrison's body exhumed. And <laughs> okay, well, if you don't want to hear the story. Oh, no, but you'll keep going, please. Okay, so he's in my living room. Now. Um, in a chair, yeah. I have I had him glazed with olive oil, and <laughs> and uh, he just stares at me. He just and that's why I was so prepped for this. You could tell I was prepped for this podcast. I want to come over and glaze him. You want to sit with him and smoke a doob? Oh my God, glaze him? Yeah, it's... glaze a human being. Well, he's already glazed, but if you want to come, we can, I can I can I can move him. He's still pliable. <sighs> Because the glaze made him kind of bendy, you know. He's like a he's like a Gumby. He's like a, and I move him around. Yeah, and uh, he's a blast. I bet, man. He's a blast. Not That's... not as energetic as he used to be, but just great to have around the house, especially during COVID when everyone's so oh lonely. Oh my god! Like, if you could have anybody oh, with you, to, just, could you imagine oh. being being quarantined with Jim Morrison? Well, no, I don't have to imagine. It's like it. I am. <laughs> It's like, dude, I, I was like, I know you're writing poetry, but can you please just buy some paper towels? <laughs> yeah, right. Because you know that he doesn't buy paper towels. What was really the most extravagant thing? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I guess maybe my house. I was able That's to. not extravagant. But it's when you have a big house. You have a big house. No, I don't have a big house. But I, it, it was just the fact that I could buy a house was, to me, as a. You gotta remember, I was it's I was the, kind I of a so I was a kid out of the suburbs of Toronto that came down here from Canada. Like I was on my last like two thousand dollars that I owned. I I came to L.A. and said, you know what, I'm taking everything I have. I'm gonna burn through it and until I got nothing left, and I'm going back to Canada. And I was I was literally down to my last like few grand. And I could see the end coming. Yeah. I thought I was going to hit the wall and have to leave. And I wouldn't have been able to come back because I, I spent everything. Yeah. <laughs> and just God be willing, like, things started to happen. And just just as I was uh, starting to run out of money. And, and so the concept that I was able to eventually buy my own house. and it's, it was, Yeah, it was, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are you talking, like, kind of an exotic? I don't know. It's I, like, you know, I, I think, okay, like the most— boat? The most exotic thing I did where where I had a little money and it was probably one of the highlights of my life. One day in this house that I bought, this was probably about 15 years ago. Yeah. I went down to my mailbox and as always, there's junk mail and I'm looking through the, oh, there's the thing for the furniture. There's the thing for the paver stones. There's the thing for new granite counters in your kitchen. And I'm just chucking them in the garbage. And and I see this one. It's got the National Geographic logo on. It's a pamphlet. Yeah. And I'm I'm reading it because 
fly around the world in a private jet. And I, I, I was, my hand was just about letting it go. And the National Geographic logo, I kind of went, you know, there's not a lot of brand names left in the world that are kind of classy still, you know? like Yeah, and they are. They are. So And, and then even more so. Now they've got, it's kind of watered. But so I kind of pulled it back, and I looked at this pamphlet, and I said, well, let me open it. Like, I was kind of intrigued. Fly around the world on a price. So I opened it, and inside there was a map of the world. And there was like, you know how in the movies when they show like a plane go dot, 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 yeah, dot, yeah, dot yeah. over to... So National Geographic had done this thing where you start in Washington, go to South America, Machu Picchu, Easter Island, the Taj Mahal in India, the Great Barrier Reef, the pyramids, Easter Island, uh, you know, like all over the world, the Taj Mahal in India, riding elephants in Nepal. Like it was, I was like, it was like, I was like, wait, what? And then I, I flipped it over, and I think this was new. I think it was the first time they were trying it. And it said, private jet, all first-class seats, only 70 seats, chef on board the plane, $39,000. And to me, that was huge, right? And it, it Sponsored is, by Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, on Pedo Island. <laughs> But uh, but um, but but then I started doing the calculations, and I went, well, if I were to, just to take a first class ticket to Hong Kong, it'd probably be ten grand. Yeah. But then I, I went, wait, there's like fourteen different, and it really is. It's going all like New Zealand, Tahiti, like feet, like it went all over the freaking world, and I was like. I was like, wait a minute, and so I, I kind of phoned them, and I said, well, let me just see if this is real, and it was real, and it was one of those things that was beyond even what I expect. Like the stuff they had on paper was all true, yeah. but then they added all these bells and whistles along the way that made it even more. It was one of those rare things in life where I was like, wow, this. And so I went around the world in like thirty days. To all these places, we spent three days in each place. Just you solo? No, there was like seventy well, of no, us. No, I know, but you. I went alone. You went alone. My cousin was supposed to come, but he uh, he ended up having to work and he had to cancel. So he was supposed to come with me. So I ended up doing it alone. And sometimes it's almost better to do stuff alone. Like yeah. it, like I I wish he was there because it was a great experience. And but you would have had the memories and be. Had your but own there was something jokes. about being on my own because then you're not checking in with anyone. You just like I'm gonna walk over there to that weird temple and you don't have to ask anyone. And so. It was it was one of the highlights of my life. Dude, so, you went on a vision quest. Yeah, and that that was a that was one of the most extravagant things. And, and now they're still doing it, but now when I see the pamphlet, it's like a hundred and seventy grand. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think this was like the first year, and they they didn't really know if people were going to do it or not. So I think I got in when it was the cheapest. And probably they did the most because they're like, well, we got to make this really good. But now I have a feeling it's probably way more oh, with I... way less bells and whistles, God, you know. Yeah. So, so I, I fluked out and it was extravagant. Good and for you, man. Yeah, that was the one time where I was like, I can't spend this money to no, do this. Got, but then I went, I go, hey, I go, hey, yeah. when am I ever going to get the time to travel to all these places? If I do, can I do it first class? If I do, is someone going to be there to handle all the logistics, the luggage, the passports, the this, the that, the meals, the 
the the the day trips that like they did it all. They, and they took you right to the thing. They're like, there it is. Go ahead and walk around. Oh, we and- we'd land at special airports because like we instead of going into main airports, we'd land at like military airports, so we didn't have to do all the stuff. And it was it was a and and the stuff I saw. I mean, I was riding around on elephants through the jungle looking for tigers. I was swimming in the Barrier Reef. I was climbing up the the statues at Easter Island. I was running around the Taj Mahal. It was just, it just crazy. They just crazy. let you in. <laughs> like you want, you want, you want to hold that panda? Yeah, <laughs> that little baby panda. Yeah, you take it with you. Oh, sweet. Like, we don't. We just want people to come back next yeah. year. Yeah, sweet. Wow. Love them. So to everybody out there, because I did it. I went. I went to Europe when I was uh, eighteen years old. I backpacked for seven months. With oh, my buddy. isn't that great? And, Good for you. And before COVID, I was supposed to go to India in September. Oh, Like, no. I was going to go. That was my whole thing. I was like, I'm going to go on a oh. vision quest to India. I'm still going to do it. Good, do when it. When this all opens back up. Yeah, yeah. But I love that. This was so great, dude. Dude, what a treat. So tell everybody where they can find you, promote whatever you got to promote. Brother. Oh, really? Okay. Well, um, I have a thing called Patreon.com where uh, it, it's like a little site where you can view all my own like videos and short movies that I make and songs and, and short stories that I write. It's uh, it's kind of, I call it the imagination station and it's where I kind of dump all my creativity. I love that. And people can go on and, and join. I have a little series I've been shooting called Two Guys in Their Underpants. It's it's these two little dolls that they're like Ken dolls and I film them all over the world and wherever I travel, I take them and I shoot little adventures with them. Nice. So they've been to the St. Louis arts. They've been to Burning Man. They've been to Saudi Arabia. I threw them over Niagara Falls. Like they, nice. they've been everywhere. So it's, it's really crazy comedy. So you can check that out. Uh, it's patreon.com backslash Harlan Williams. I have my Instagram where I always What's put- your handle? Harlan Williams. Harlan Williams. And same with Twitter. And I'm not one of these guys. I don't put up a lot of like topical, political. I, I just put up stuff to make people laugh. So stupid jokes, little funny videos. So if you want to follow that, go for it. And then I have harlanwilliams.com as my website. So follow Harlan. Join his Patreon. You're one of the funniest people I know. Thanks, I love dude. you so much. Thanks, buddy. Uh, thank you so much, buddy. Dude, this what was, a pleasure. And so um, I'll uh, see you through the next door. Yuck your face. Yuck your fishing lure. Yuck, you're twat. Finally. What did I tell you guys? What did I tell you? The one and only Harlan Williams. Find him on all social media at Harlan Williams. And for all things Harlan, go to his website, harlanwilliams.com. Like I said before, guys, sign up for my YouTube at Josh Adam Myers, and you can get the video for this and everything, everything. We just listened to The Doors from 1967. This week, our new music pick is The Rose Room. You're listening to their new song, Until It Happens, which the band wrote during quarantine. The Rose Room consists of longtime roommates Jay McNeely and Corey Ralph. Oh, my God, I would love to hear the story between these two guys. Who buys paper towels? Who makes them get Cinemax when they don't need it? The Santa Rosa Band makes a mixture of electronic and rock music, very spacey and out there stuff, similar to The Doors, who the band cites is a big influence. Jay and Corey both own the Strange Days vinyl, woo-woo, and are big fans of the podcast. What's up, Felices? You guys are now lieutenant generals in the Fleece Army, and you can find the links to their music on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, 
Send your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, it's Sinead O'Connor week as we go deep into her 1990 sophomore album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. Guys, uh, I didn't know if I was going to like it. Man, oh man. Give me a picture of the Pope. I'll tear it up. That's how much I'm enjoying it. You've got homework to do. Listen to the album. Stay fleecy. Dougal. Dougal. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. 
offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Next Chapter Podcasts.